0: Lynn sat quietly upon the fallen tree, tugging at the twilight world with her void sense. The forest was a massive battleground for the various and sundry forces of the woods, and she was drinking deeply its conflict, its pain. There were armies of ants waging endless war with the hanging cities of wasps, spiders stinging crickets into silence, and packs of coyotes ripping ungainly fawns to glistening red ribbons. She was there with them all, killing and being killed, again and again. Naturally, she would have preferred pleasure over pain, but the former was far harder to come by. The world always tilted towards suffering. Anguish was not only greater in abundance, but generally more intense and self-sustaining. There was no getting around the truth of being. Pain was the rule and pleasure the exception. Satisfying her growing needs was a matter of adjusting her expectations, taking the world as it presented itself, and then handing it over to the Void. She'd enjoyed the meal she'd shared with Mars, though he dispatched the bikers far too quickly for her tastes, so to speak. She was eagerly looking forward to the next outing with the Warbringer, the promised pedigree of the coming violence in particular. Her power was growing with its every exercise, her ability to carefully manage its hunger slipping. The pull it exerted was now a fully realized current, constantly tempting her into the churning depths of oblivion. Consequently, the grip she maintained on the world needed to strengthen, the sensations required to stave off the deadening more robust. It was her turn to keep the watch against potential reprisal by the wanderers, the newest problem to spring up and likely the source of her next quickening. She had required that all the others take up their watches in groups of two, yet she insisted she be let alone for her turn, overruling Mars's objection to the contrary. During their trip back from Dismuth, he'd informed her of the expansion of his own abilities, his new war sense, which, she said, would more than allow him to keep tabs on her, While she supped from the effulgence of the woods, there was something else. An intermittent presence revealed through the flicker of two of the five senses, sight and hearing. Strangely, it came from the living things around her, creatures she already partook of. The brief glimpses she tapped into were nothing less than impressions of herself. She was being watched. The thing seemed to be tapping into the forest's creatures as well if only through a different facility altogether. She assumed the culprit some kind of psychic, comparable perhaps to the mind-controlling Sapien they'd encountered in Curious Forest, a creature that drew information from the mind as opposed to the senses themselves. She decided she would confront the spy openly.
4: I don't know what you are, creature, but if you're one of William's people, I suggest you tell him to take his lumps in stride and keep away. You don't want us coming for you. I can guarantee you of that.
0: Having said her piece, she struck the woods blind and deaf, feeding the void countless visions and sounds and denying the interloper access to any more senses. The fauna of the forest caterwauled and spasmed in response, birds and flying insects tumbling from the sky, countless beasts howling out their confusion. She switched her senses over to the spectrum of the microscopic, tiny, delicate receptors orienting her to the surroundings. The Stealer hoped her new proxy's lack of a proper brain would function as a barrier to any further psychic prying. Feeling the intruder properly dealt with, she slumped back down upon the dead tree, her sense of self dimmed for the lesser bandwidth of stimulus.
4: I want to feel for him,
0: she thought, during a momentary spark of emotion, likely rekindled by all the senses she'd glutted upon. This was the irony of her indifference. It bothered her. Of all the emotions she would have happily seen devoured by the void, it was guilt. Yet guilt was the very emotion that prompted her to pour three bottles of pills down her throat and slit both her wrists. That the feeling should survive oblivion seemed cruelly apropos. In a moment of clarity, Lynn realized she'd confused her indifference for strength when she'd held herself above Mars assuming his feelings for her a weakness. It was she who was weak, she finally recognized. Her feelings were too atrophy to act as they should. In fact, she wasn't merely weak, she was crippled, only slightly more capable of engaging life and living than when she lay silent and lifeless upon a hospital bed for years and years, wasting away. Lynn exited the woods and crossed into an area of the city that was once a small park. Now almost fully wooded, only a dilapidated swing set and a crumbling wooden sign remarked upon its past life, Braxton Park. There might have been a date written beneath the words, but the characters were too weather-worn to be deciphered. She drifted to the swing still held aloft by two thick lengths of rusty chain. Settling into the seat, she dangled motionless for a few moments before pumping her legs, slowly coaxing the thing into motion. She could barely feel the air her borrowed microsenses doing a poor job of conveying motion. In a moment of release, like the one that had laid the scars into her wrists, she let go of the swing, allowing her momentum to carry her through the air. She barely realized she'd crashed down into the thickets, that tears were rushing from her eyes.
4: I just want to feel.
0: The very moment she spoke the words, she realized where she had ended up, where the machine had put her on the opposite side of her most defining moment, when she'd yearned to feel nothing, when she had called out to the void.
4: Be careful what you wish for,
0: she whispered to herself, giggling with the abandon of a lunatic. Hazel had enjoyed her time with Eric only slightly more than she had feared it. There was a temptation to feel comfortable with the Englishman, to allow the bond between them to grow. Yet for every bit of happiness she snatched from their union, there widened the span of potential heartbreak, when the nature of their circumstances finally crashed in on them, sweeping away their aspirations to happiness. This looming possibility was magnified by the mounting realization that something was growing within her dreams, perhaps even living there. Recently, and while entirely awake, she could feel something looking over her shoulder, studying the world. Worse still, it peered into her, that cold stare lying like a gravestone atop her soul. She wondered if that was how Eric felt whenever Cromwell was about, using his eyes for windows that looked out beyond the lands of the dead. She might know if ever she asked about her partner's unique condition, but such topics were rarely brought up between them both preferring to leave matters of the machine to the margins of their time together. Recently, however, ever since the battle in the front yard, Eric was more intense, staring with a cold fury beyond the windows, his eyes seeking out the wannabe rulers of Witchtown, no doubt. She was eager to see the last of this new disposition. It was beginning to frighten her. "'I know we're all currently on red alert,' but i was wondering if perhaps i might convince the two of you to join me and that fine gentleman mr theodore limpenil for a late dinner tomorrow night i looked in on him during my last walk and he graciously extended the invitation keith looked down upon her and eric where they sat on the old couch enjoying the conductor's most recent concoction of coffee why, that sounds marvelous. I, for one, would love to, Eric said with a smile.
4: You can count me in, too,
0: Hazel chimed back. Excellent. There might be one other, but I've yet to speak with her. A fine lady who goes by the name of Madeline. My, you've certainly been making the rounds, haven't you? Eric smirked. Tis the magic of walking aimlessly, my friend. Letting chance guide your every step. Apart from that bad apple from the other day, I've found people around the city to be quite brilliant.
4: Did you invite the others?
0: Hazel asked with a bit of squeamishness.
2: Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
0: Mars insisted the house not be left unguarded, and Lynn... Keith stopped short, the unspoken sentiment seemingly absorbed by the couple. I see, was all Eric responded. I was going to walk down to the remains of that quaint little liquor store over on the corner, if you two care to join me. I thought to procure some wine for tomorrow's shindig. Not that I'm expecting anything to be left, of course. But perhaps we'll all be pleasantly surprised.
4: A walk is just what the doctor ordered,
0: Hazel said, setting her coffee aside and rising to her feet. Indeed it is, Eric echoed. The group passed Mars, who sat on the porch smoking. They indicated their destination, to which he grumbled. Stay frosty out there, and bring me back some scotch if you find any. Or rum,
4: Aye, aye, Captain.
0: Hazel joked. Mars chuckled as he exhaled a fog of smoke. The group was well past the first few houses on Lineage Street when Hazel pondered out loud.
4: You know, I really can't see why anyone would bother trying to run this place. It's not like we're not already beholden to the company. And what's to gain from parking a throne in the middle of a wrecked city filled with depressed science experiments?
0: wherever there's so much as a moat of power to be had rest assured there'll be someone sprinting after it too true eric agreed but like hazel said what does church do with his authority as far as i can tell all anyone here does is hole up and wait for their contracts to expire that and run whatever errands the company sends them on I'm almost curious enough to show up this next Thursday to find out. Might go some way to ease all of this tension as well, Keith said. Please tell me you're not serious, Keith. Eric responded, shaking his head. I've no intention of taking orders, you understand. Only seeing what the whole thing is about. I simply must know.
4: Well, Lynn could stand down the street and tell us that. There's no reason to waltz right in there.
0: Hazel added, similarly taken aback by the conductor's words. Now, where's the fun in that, I ask you? Where's your sense of community, my dear?
4: You're impossible, Keith. You know that, right?
0: Hazel said, smirking. Jokes aside, Mr. Gregory assaulted us. Threw Hazel right down the stairs. I've no desire to placate them whatsoever. I do have a mind, however, to see their little clubhouse stomp right into the ground." Eric was growing visibly irritated by the conversation.
4: I can't say I wouldn't like to see Cromwell do just that either. But as much as I hate to say it, they're like us, Eric. Fucked over and pissed off. Can't really blame them for being less than friendly.
0: Hazel was trying to find the middle ground between the two sentiments. I think I could be sympathetic if pissed off was all that they were that man threatened us. Attacked us, even. My sympathy goes only so far. And if they should come again—'
4: "'If they come again. We'll be ready, Eric. We don't need to fan the flames, especially not here, where we live,'
0: Hazel said, as softly as she could, trying to calm her boyfriend. "'We are all at the mercy of the machine, my friend. Like it or not, these people, they are our kind.' we might try some honey while the bees are still in the hive. Yes? Yes, well, I suppose so, Eric exhaled, pausing for a moment, looking as if he were listening to something, or someone.
4: That goes for you too, Cromwell,
0: Hazel said, shaking her finger at Eric's ear, giggling. He says there's no better time to eliminate bees than when they're in the hive, Eric said a smirk playing at the edge of his lips. "'I see. A proper combatant at last,' Keith said, smiling wide.
4: "'Everyone of legal age?'
0: Hazel asked, opening the front door to the derelict liquor store. The interior was water-damaged and shadow-strewn, yet the aisle seemed clear and well-traveled. Hazel regressed the scene and watched as shadowy figures perused the shelves, selecting bottles and reading labels. "'You see?' Even in ruin there lies miracles. I give you the finest selection of wine and spirits a Malsapian could ask for. Keith effused, his arms gesturing to the apparently curated collection of alcohol still lining the shelves. A handwritten sign hung on the wall. If you take something, replace it when you can. Yet it wasn't spirits that caught Hazel's eye. As she regressed the scene to see what precisely went on within the structure, she saw something out the window, something cloaked and squatting and large. She'd regressed the scene as far as the previous night, freezing it in place to walk outside and examine the figure. Keith was busy evaluating wines, but Eric asked where she was off to, but she was too focused to respond. Once before the thing, she recoiled at its features, It wasn't even close to human, a mix of animal and alien barely contained to a humanoid outline. Monstrous extrusions of corkscrewing claws and barbed tentacles spilled without the poorly maintained shape. She gasped when she saw likeness between the thing and the monsters that had come to haunt her dreams. It was very similar to one of the blood-gusting beasts that battled the monster with soaring antlers. "'Whatever are you up to, Hazel?' Eric said from behind moving alongside the regressor, a tinge of concern coloring his words.
4: There was something here last night. It wasn't human, and I'm not entirely sure it was Malsapian either.
0: She took his hand, allowing him to see into the bygones, her name for the past. Good lord, we're looking into the past, aren't we?
4: Sorry, I should have prepped you, but look at this thing.
0: Eric seemed almost too amazed at what she'd done to pay proper attention. She pulled him to where the thing's face was visible beneath its hood, where its body's irregularities swelled beyond a cloak made of skin.
4: My god, what is that thing? That's the million-dollar question, so let's see where it goes.
0: She let the scene play out, and they followed the thing as it skulked through the city, where it kept to shadows and overgrown alleyways lifting its nose into the wind as if tracking something. Occasionally, as it moved along, the wind would lift its cloak, revealing more of its alien-esque body, a thing betraying less and less humanity, including its height. Whenever the thing had caused to stand fully erect, it appeared to be no less than eight feet tall. It wandered the dark for quite some time until finally turning down a dead-end street, its feline ears pricking. Climbing up the overgrown gables of the last house, the monster crept to a second-story window. Hazel could feel her body aging, her joints swelling, eyesight clouding. Not wanting to appear hag-like in front of Eric, she took them both from the bygones. The sun returned, though barely breaking through the thick canopy of overhanging tree branches, the scene almost haunting in its desolation and overgrowth. They immediately noticed that the window the creature had crouched in front of was now smashed in.
4: Might be a good time to get the others,
0: she said, without looking away from the window. An hour later, the night in full possession of the sky, the passengers were gathered before the house, plying it with all of the probes they had to offer. After both Keith and Lynn declared the house empty, Mars quietly broke the door in and led the others through the darkness of the ancient home, which belied its exterior with an exceptionally neat and tidy interior. The place was not unlike a small museum, packed with all manner of antiques ranging from paintings to statuary. Hazel peeked into the bygones as they snuck about, watching a thin man dressed all in gray delicately tend to his various miniature galleries. Mars opened the door to the room with a broken window. A bedroom. The bed was almost entirely covered in blood. Its frame cracked in half. Hazel narrated the scene as she regressed the room.
4: The man in the bed is snoring. Maybe that's what drew the thing here. It's smashing through the window now. Christ, the thing's fast. It just crushed the guy's skull in its mouth. He never had a chance to even wake up.
0: She winced as she supplied the next details.
4: It's fucking eating him. It's friggin' jaws are distending to swallow the whole guy. God damn, there's nothing left, just blood. God, it's changing, growing wings, and out it goes.
0: Hazel moved to the broken window on the other side of the room.
4: It's flying west over the forest. It's gone. I've lost sight of it.
0: Deep down, in that place where something nameless lurked her dreams, she heard a distant voice like the fade of thunder. They're coming.
1: Hold up.